Hello, I'm Daniel. I host this podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a Buddhist meditation teacher in Kansas City. These teachings will always be given free of charge, but if you feel compelled to make a donation, there's a link in the show notes. Thank you for listening and have a good day. Hello, I'm Daniel. I was thinking about things that inspire me, and there is this old text that inspires me a lot, and I wanted to give some teachings from this old text, and there's one issue I had with it, though, and this text is called Sin Sin Ming, and that's usually often usually often translated as faith in mind, like this. But sometimes it's also translated as trust in mind, like this. And sometimes confidence in mind. I wish I had a version that said confidence in mind on the cover. But what is it? It is about sort of believing in yourself, having faith in your mind. So we teach that our mind is basically good, that we have enlightenment at the center of our being already. So it's not something far away we're working toward, but rather we're just trying to get to the center of our being. It's the opposite of <clears throat> ideas that human beings are bad, right? It's the opposite of that. It's we have basic goodness. We're basically good. We have this at our core. We just have to turn our minds to see it. We just have to put down our baggage to see it. Wisdom is our nature, and that's a hard thing to wrap our heads around sometimes, and that's why we talk about cultivating faith in mind, that is, believing in yourself. And that, that word faith, people struggle with that, of course, and that's why, I think that's why words like trust get used instead. Because we uh, attach certain connotations to the word faith that maybe aren't present here. This is about believing in yourself and believing that your true nature is good. So that's what we're talking about with this text. And I wanted to talk about this text because I really love it. And it's got little, it's, 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 it's poetic. <clears throat> it's like poetry. So it's got lines like this and it's kind of short. And that makes it very easy for me to talk about. And my, my sort of my, Specialty, specialty is sort of taking these difficult things. This one's not difficult, but taking these maybe old timey things and sort of relating them and making them useful and helpful to us. I think of that as my specialty. Maybe I don't have a specialty, but <clears throat> so I thought, well, if I'm teaching this text, or if I'm teaching things like this text, what do I call it? What do I call it? Cause I don't want to call it faith in mind or, really all of these terms that we could use don't do anything for me. But then I thought, well, what about make friends with your mind? Not trust your mind, make friends with your mind. Trust your mind sounds kind of weird. Faith in mind sounds very strange because we think of faith as something else. But trust in mind even sounds kind of weird because, you know, if we do our sitting practice, we see, oh, my mind is a crazy person. My mind is a crazy person. It goes all sorts of places I don't want it to go. And I can't really control it at all. So I don't trust my mind. 
I don't trust my mind. If I trusted my mind, I'd let it do what it wants, which is not be present, right? So I thought I'd make friends with your mind. So like if you have a friend that has a serious addiction problem, you don't just trust them. You want to help them. And you think of different ways to help them, right? You might schedule an intervention. You might even put them in a facility, maybe, if they really need it. But you might throw away their drugs, of course. But that's making friends with them. That's not trusting them. That's not having confidence in them because confidence is not what they need. I mean, they need you to really look out for them. In the same way, we think of our meditation practice sometimes as something we're doing like this, like... I'm bringing the hammer down on my mind. I'm I'm cutting away my thoughts. I'm attacking my mind. We think of our mind as an enemy sometimes because it's so hard for us to meditate sometimes. And that's also not, maybe not the right way to think of it. Because in the same way, if you have a friend with a terrible addiction, well, you're not just hitting them with a hammer, right? You're thinking of different ways to help them deal with the situation. You're not attacking. You're not holding them down like this. You're not beating them down. You're trying to figure out how to help them. You're making friends with them. And in that way, we're making friends with our minds. Making friends with our minds. So I really like that. And so we're going to meditate for a little bit. And then I'm going to give a talk about making friends with our mind. So I'm pretty excited for that. So I want you to sit up as straight as you can. And find a position where your feet aren't going to fall asleep. I like to do an eyes open practice. So I'm going to be fixing my attention on the wall behind my computer here. But you, if you like an eyes closed practice, I think that's okay. Find a position where your feet aren't going to fall asleep. I have a plan for your hands. I like to do... I'm going to do, I like to recommend two different things. And one is the relaxation, which is just hands on your knees. And the other one is the bowl, which is one hand on top of the other, thumbs gently touching. Some people place a lot of attention on saying your right hand should be on top. And some people say your left hand should be on top. I think it doesn't matter. But you take that and you rest it in your lap. The point is we have a plan for what our hands are going to do. Because if we don't have a plan, then... Every scratch, every itch is going to be really easy to scratch. Every We're going to have lots of points of distraction. And that being said, if during this sit you feel like you really have to adjust yourself for scratch, um, I usually suggest just do it and get it over with as quick as you can and get back to your position. Because if we're just thinking about how we've got a scratch, well, that's not helpful. Go ahead and take three deep breaths. I'm going to ring the bell three times to begin our meditation. And we'll meditate just for a little while, and then I'll come back and give the talk.
Now, what I want you to do for this meditation is simply bring your attention into your experience. Bring your attention into your experience. So what does that mean? That means try to notice everything that's happening. But at the same time, don't attach to anything that's happening. This is maybe hard to do at first, but I notice the chair beneath my body. I notice birds singing. I notice the way my hands feel touching each other. I notice a sound somewhere in the house, but I'm not sort of sitting here thinking, I wonder what that sound is. I wonder if that sound's going to stop. I just notice the sound. Oh, I'm noticing a sound. And then come back to this moment. And even with, with thoughts, I'm thinking about what I'm doing later, but then I just label that. I just think, oh, I'm thinking about what I'm doing later. And I just come back to this moment. Just naming what we're doing takes away the power of our crazy minds. just about being here and in silence. And what we find if we do this for a while, we tend to find that after a while, there's a little bit less going on in there. We're a little bit more present. Slowly.
Thank you for taking the time to sit with me. That was a pretty good sit. Um, you probably found it challenging if you've never tried it before, and that's okay. So, <clears throat> I'm going to read to you from this text, and then I'm going to comment on it. And then we will see how we feel about it. The great way is not difficult for those who have no addiction to preferences. When love and hate are absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. I'm going to read that again. The great way is not difficult for those who have no addiction to preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are infinitely apart. So, the great way is not difficult. That refers to the path we're on, the path of wisdom and compassion, the path of bodhisattvas, the path of the Buddha. And it is just that we have Buddha nature already. We don't think of it that way. We think of this as very hard sometimes as we're trying to get something that's far away, right? And if we learn how to understand that our true nature is the awakened state already, maybe that can make us feel a little better about how challenging it is. I don't feel enlightened, right? I'm giving into my temptations all the time. I'm wildly selfish, right? I don't feel enlightened at all. But the point is to learn to sort of turn our minds to understand that we are enlightened. We are enlightened. The second line, uh, for those who have no addiction to preferences, that tells us what stops us from realizing our awakened state. It's, Picking and choosing. It is. It is. I want this and I don't want that. It's our mind that says, I mean mine all the time. We often make our problems worse when we, when we try to get out of them, especially, especially if we don't pretend, if we don't accept that our problems exist. If we just pretend that we don't have problems, if we just hide from a problem, well, that's not helpful, right? So our, our addiction to preferences, that's something we're obsessed with. We are obsessed with sort of the labels we put on the world. This is good and that is bad. We are obsessed with that. And it can cause us a lot of grief at times. It can cause us a lot of grief at times. What we want to learn how to do, and it, <clears throat> I always say this, what we want to learn how to do is learn how to cultivate a mind that says... Right now it's like this. Instead of, right now it's like this, what can I do? That's what I say. Instead of just, why is this happening to me, right? Um, this is a quote from Ajahn Chah, a great forest Buddhist monk from Thailand. He said, Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful, rare animals will come to drink at the pool, 
and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So, so what is that? That is just, if we can just let go, if we can just let things happen and let the world unfold, we're going to be happier, or at least we're going to be less unhappy. We, we hold on to our desires like this, like this, and that's not always helpful. We hold them very tightly, that is. We hold them very tightly. And that's not always helpful. That's not always what we need. Sometimes we just need, especially... I think of my kids sometimes because they argue over nonsense. And so what I try to tell them is... Something can be wrong and not important. Something can be wrong and not important. So... Like, one of the kids will remember something a certain way. Like, remember the result of an Uno game a certain way. And then the other kid's like, that's not how it ended. And this kid is mad. Why? Who cares, right? But because they're not thinking, something can be wrong and not important. They're thinking, no, it's wrong. I've got to do something. And that's that's sort of what we're talking about here. And that's how I think of... Um, Arguments on the internet, too. I sort of get... I am bothered when someone when someone says something that's wrong on Facebook. I'm bothered. And I think a lot of people are like that. And I feel like I have to say something. But it's... Something can be wrong and not important. It doesn't matter what I say. And it doesn't matter that a person is wrong. Not really. I mean, sure, I can try to convince someone. But... Most people are not going to be convinced. And... It's just going to be frustrating for me and probably for them too. So, you know, no one ever said, oh, I saw that really compelling argument on the internet and I was convinced I've changed how I'm voting, right? Nobody has ever said that. So I think of that too. Something can be wrong and not important. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. So, I'm not crazy about that translation, love and hate. I think attachment and aversion would be better. But that is just, I really want the things I want. I really want to get rid of the things I don't want. It's that, I what I call the I, me, mine mentality. It is just, this is good and I want it. This is bad and I don't want it. And I'm obsessed with both of these things putting great importance on likes and dislikes can really get in the way of our happiness and in the way of our meditation practice. If we can let things happen, let the world unfold, then we'll be happier. I think that we label things good and bad, and then we pretend those labels are real. And it relates to our meditation practice too, because sometimes we really don't want to sit and meditate, but our intention is to do it anyway. And sometimes we spend the whole time in our meditation just thinking about things we'd rather be doing. And that's the mind of picking and choosing. That's the mind of love and hate. Attachment and aversion. I like attachment and aversion a lot more than love and hate because I think well, I think getting rid of hate is good. And I think people maybe wrestle with, well, I don't want to get rid of love. And I don't want to get rid of love. So I think attachment would be a better, a better word for that. 
So put, putting down just, just stop being so caught up in what we want and being so caught up in what we don't want, right? It's the attachment is I want that right now. I need it right now. I deserve it right now. And then aversion is, so this shouldn't be happening to me. This needs to go far away. And <clears throat> the problem is, of course, that we have these feelings when we have no control over the situation. We're obsessed with what's happening in a negative way when we can't control it. And we're obsessed with what's happening, not happening in a positive way. Those are the two sides of that. I'm going to finish the verse and then I'm going to tell a story, I think. <clears throat> so, make the smallest distinction and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. So, that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about even a little thing, even a very little thing, say somebody cuts you off in traffic, that can ruin your day, right? Even a very little thing can happen and just, we obsess about it. We obsess about it. Sort of like, sometimes if we've got our, our life is almost perfect and we're just missing like one little thing, like I wish my job was a little bit, paid me a little bit better, or I wish my clothes were a little nicer, or I wish, I wish my partner was a little bit more patient, right? Those things steal our joy because what we think about is the single little thing that's not right. The single little thing that's not right. So we might say, I wish I had a little bit more time to meditate. I wish my house was a little bit quieter so I could be still a little better. And that gets in our way. Just a little thing. We don't think about all the things going right. We think about the one thing going wrong. That is what our minds do sometimes. We think about the one thing going wrong. When we're engaged in sitting practice, our, our minds take us all over the place. And that's our minds trying to pick and choose. That's our minds trying to choose anything but sitting still. And that can be really hard. And that's why I want to say this text is a philosophical text, but it's also a meditation manual. It is also telling us things we need to do to keep our meditation going, to make friends with our minds. So just keeping in mind, avoid picking and choosing can be helpful to us. Just remind ourselves, okay, right now it's like this. What can I do? Instead of why is this happening to me right now? It's like this. What can I do? Is a much better philosophy to have. And that's hard. It's at times really hard, but it can really serve us really well. If we can remind ourselves right now, it's like this. What can I do? And it's, it is really hard. Like, I'm not going to suggest that one day you'll be at a point where you'll, you'll stub your toe and you'll just say, oh, pain is in my body. Right now it's like this. What can I do? Well, I'm going to wait for the pain to go away. That's all I can do. Right? You're not going to respond that way. You're going to say something else if you say anything. Right? But I think we can make things a little bit better for ourselves. I think we can make things a little bit better for ourselves. Uh, so now I'm going to tell a little story. Um, this is called The Horse Story. And it's about sort of obsession with preferences. It's about having equanimity, having the mind that that isn't obsessed with preferences. And this is The Horse Story. So this takes place in ancient 
China. Um, there was his farmer, and he had horses, and he had one adult son, and that's his whole family. Okay? No other kids, no wife. And they've got a farm and they've got horses. And one day, one of his horses runs away. One of the farmer's horses runs away. And the neighbors come. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry you lost your horse. That is so sad. And the farmer says, well, maybe. Maybe it's sad. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And the neighbors, they think that's really weird, and they leave. And the next day, the horse comes back, and it's got a pack of wild horses with it. And the wild horses just come onto the farm, so guys got free horses all of a sudden. Free horses. And the neighbors come over, and they're like, wow, you're so lucky. You got free horses. That's great. I'm so happy for you. And the farmer's like, well, I don't know, maybe. Maybe it'll be good. I don't know what's going to happen. And the neighbors, again, think he's weird. And they leave. And the next day, the farmer's son is riding one of these wild horses, and he falls off and breaks his leg. He falls off and breaks his leg. So he's not going to be able to work on the farm anymore for a long time. It's going to take a long time for that leg to heal, right? And the neighbors come again, and they're like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry your son broke his leg. That's so sad. You're going to have such a tough time. And the farmer says, well, maybe. I don't know what's going to happen. Could be good or bad. I don't know. I like to think that his son was not present when he said that because that'd be kind of mean. I think that would hurt his feelings. Maybe. I don't know if it's a big deal that he broke his leg, right? But um, the neighbors then leave. They're like, okay, this farmer's crazy, right? And the next day, the army comes to town and they are drafting every young man in the village to go fight in a war. And they come to this farmer's house and they can't take his son because he has a broken leg. They can't. So the army leaves without this kid, this kid. And the neighbors come and they're like, and again, it's the same thing. They're like, oh, you're lucky they didn't take your son. You're lucky he broke his leg. And the farmer still is like, maybe, who knows? And it came to pass that every young man from that village that went to that bat, went to that war died. So the farmer's son, very likely, if he had not ridden that wild horse, would have broken his leg. Would not have broken his leg, rather, and would have died in war, right? Breaking his leg was, I mean, a good thing. A good thing. So... What does that story tell us? It's kind of a silly story, right? But the farmer had a calm and even mind no matter what. He did not attach good and bad labels to the the varying events of life. He just said, well, I don't know what's going to happen, right? This seems good, but I don't know what's going to happen. He didn't place those labels of good and bad on the things that were happening. It's a very hard thing to do, but I want to say that I think we can have more of that kind of mind in our lives. I think we can. So, that's what I wanted to talk about. That's it for today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. And have a good day.
Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.